My name is Brian Legg. I'm one of the pastors on our lead pastor team here at TBA. So glad you could be here. Um, as Amy mentioned, we are starting our small group fair this morning so that we can kick off small groups for the fall session. Excited about that. And you can see the whole team thing going on, which is why you got a bunch of people wearing jerseys today as well to kind of help you get plugged into those things. And I would just encourage you, if you have not already plugged into a small group here at TBA, make today the day you sign up and get plugged in and get involved in that. You know, small groups really is our primary means of discipleship and growing in our spiritual uh, walk with Christ here at TBA. We talk all the time about we want to be a church of small groups, not just a church that has small groups as a ministry. And really what that means is we want to see 100% of people plugged into a small group because that is where you are going to have people speak into your lives, figure out how to apply the things that we talk about on Sunday mornings, and be able to grow in that journey. So we want you to be a part. Don't wait. Find a group and plug into that. Before we jump into the, the main message time this morning, um, some of you may have noticed as you came in that we had a floral arrangement here at the front of the stage. And if you've been around TBA long, you know that that's probably not a real normal thing that we have here. But the, the flowers this morning have been placed here by the Dorado family. Um, and for those of you who are aware of this already, today marks one year of the passing of Nicholas Dorado. Um, his dad, Alicio, is one of our uh, youth pastors. He's our middle school youth pastor on staff with us. And, you know, they, they, uh, they called Dave and talked to him and said they wanted to drop off some flowers. And they had a card I'm going to read to you in just a moment for the church. But as I was thinking about it, I realized, you know, for a young church that we are, because you look around and, and we're a fairly young church, we don't do a lot of funerals. But in the last two to three years, it seems like we've done quite a few and quite a few that were unexpected. And so I know that we've got a lot of families in our church family that are just hurting and are still walking through that grieving journey. We wanted to take some time this morning just to honor those families and to, to pray for them. And before I pray, I just want to read this card to you from Alicia and Beth and their family. It says, Dear, B, Dear TBA Church family, thank you will never be enough for the love and kindness that you have shown our family in the past year. We love you and thank you for all your love and support. The family of Nicholas Dorado and the flowers are a memory of Nicholas today. So let's just take a moment and for any of you who maybe have been walking this journey of grief, have lost someone close to you in the last couple of years, I want to just take some time to, to pray for you. And, you know, this is a great picture of what God's church is. It's the church family wrapping around one another, carrying each other in, in tough times and, and being able to celebrate together in joyous times. So let's just take a moment and pray today. God, we thank you that you have given us one another to be able to walk this journey out with. And God, that you have expressed your love so clearly through your people. God, I'm thankful for the way that we see the church come together and wrap around one another to to love and support and encourage. And, and God, there are times where there, there just are moments in life that we don't even know what to say or where to turn, but it's in those moments that you always show up. And it's in those moments that you extend peace. It's in those moments that you extend encouragement. So often you use those in your church to do that, to be the extension of your hands and feet, the extension of your love to one another. And so God, this morning, I just ask for your comfort for the Dorado family and so many others in our church family that have been affected by loss in the last few years. God, I pray that you would comfort them as they grieve. I pray that you would encourage them, that you would help them to feel and sense your love. God, grant peace as only you can do. We love you and we praise you and we commit this time to you. Speak to our hearts now as we continue in our day. In your name we pray. Amen. So this morning we are starting into a new series called Body Life. Um, and if you've, you've been around, this series is, is going to be all about the church. We kind of talked about it a little bit last week, asking questions like, what or who is the church? What is the church's purpose? How should the church function? What does it mean when we keep talking all this stuff about church family? 
because you hear that often around here. And if you've been around for the last few months, we've been doing several series that really have built up to this. We started a little over three months ago with a series called Text, or It Is Written, and we were exploring a lot of the foundational truths of Scripture and just talking about how those things apply to our life and how we build our faith upon that. We came out of that and we went into a, a, a series called Soul Detox. We were talking about the things that invade our soul and, and are toxins to our soul, the struggles, the individual struggles we wrestle through and how God wants to work in those. And then last month we went through a series called The Elephant in the Church. And we really were looking at it from more of a corporate angle of talking about what are the things that, that really mess up the church organization? What are the things that as a body that we deal with all the time, those struggles, but yet they're often things we don't want to talk about. They're the elephant in the church. And so today as we start this new series called Body Life, I'm hoping in reality we're kind of turning a corner, so to speak, and that we've, we've looked at all of these struggles and all these things that are, are difficult for us in our journey. And now today I want to begin to paint a picture of what the church really is called to look like what we're to be about, what we should be reflecting to the world around us. And we're just going to explore God's amazing plan for the church. A lot of what we're going to be exploring is coming out of Ephesians chapter 4. It's Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And um, the first 16 verses of chapter 4 really kind of sum up a lot of what we're going to be talking about. So I just want to read that to you this morning to give you a little context of where we're going to be going over the next several weeks. Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1 says, therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. And that is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies that are so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Now, I don't often take time to read a big, full passage like that, and I know it's just 16 verses, but I just wanted to give you some context as we jump into this, because I think Paul does a great job here of really summing up the idea of the church. He talks about our calling, talks about our function, our structure, and specifically, he's talking about the impact that we should be having on one another inside the church and outside the church. You might even say that Paul is essentially setting the bar for the church as he's sharing this with us. And over the next several weeks, we're going to really work off of this foundational truth about the church, trying to gain understanding of who we are and how we should live, and then work to apply that to our daily lives. 
And that really is where small groups become so important because our small groups are taking what we do on Sunday mornings and they're going deeper with that. You see the little insert that's in your bulletin every week that has the blanks that you fill in and it has some questions there? Our small groups are going to use that kind of as a springboard to dig deeper into each subject to talk about what else does the Bible say about this? How do I apply this to my life? What does that mean to me? And it's just invaluable to have other people who can speak into your life and give some perspective about those things. And that's why we keep pushing so much about small groups and getting you plugged into that. So this topic of the church. You know, I often wonder if we, we really have any concept of who we are called to be as the church. In his book, Body Life, author Racy Stedman says it like this. Do we truly realize the power that is available to us? Do we have any concept of the power Jesus intended for his church to wield in their dark and dangerous world? Or has our vision of the church become so dimmed that the world, that, excuse me, that the word church suggests to us only a building on the corner where we go once a week to sing hymns and hear sermons? You know, I read across that and I went, well, my first thought was, I'm glad TBA is not a church on the corner. But then I thought, you know, do we fall into that same trap of misguided thinking? Have we allowed our perspective to become skewed by the obstacles that we're facing or the ever-changing public opinion or the variety of important agenda kind of things that pop up and we're just inundated with on a daily basis? I wonder for us, TBA, do we realize the power that we have in the cross, the power that we have in Christ, the ability that we have to impact the world around us and our calling as the church? You know, I'd like to think so but there's a lot of days that I'm not so sure. I don't know if we really get it, if we understand it. I look back at what Paul wrote here in Ephesians 4, and if you stop to think about the context of where Paul was writing, the, the Ephesus, that area at that time, really didn't look a whole lot different than our world today. Paul's sitting in, in a jail cell in Rome, and he's awaiting trial with the Caesar, and he's thinking back to Ephesus that he just came from, and he's realizing Man, everything is just chaotic and crazy in Ephesus. There, there's just all these things going on. There's, um, there is, uh, po the political climate was in chaos. Crime was rampant. Morality was essentially absent. It was just kind of missing. I mean, Ephesus was the center of worship for the goddess Diana, who was the sex goddess. That tells you what the morality was like in the area. The economy was on the verge of complete destruction. The whole area of Ephesus just seemed like anarchy would reign any day. It was like everything was falling apart and coming unglued at the seams. You know, we look around at our news stories in today's world, and it doesn't feel a lot different a lot of times, does it? But I love what Paul does here. In the midst of all that chaos, in the midst of everything that seems to be falling apart, he writes to the church at Ephesus and he reminds them of who they are. He reminds them that they are the church they are the church. They are to be having an impact on the world around them. Chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Paul's reminding the Ephesian church, and now us, what God has called us to do. You are the church, God's church, the hope of the world. You're God's plan of redemption in flesh and bone. Be the church. Live according to God's word and his purposes. Do what you've been called to do. See, I think there's always this temptation for us to look like the world. We don't want to stand out or be different. We want to look like everybody around us. But that's not what God calls us to. 
And I think that's one of the obstacles that we face as a church all the time is that there's too many representatives of Christ, too many people who say that they are the church who don't represent Christ well. They don't represent his character, their language, their behavior, their thinking. All of it reflects what we see as normal in our world. But that's not what God called us to. When we come to Christ, we surrender our worldly desires. We replace them with God's desires for us. We're changed, literally transformed from the inside out. Paul talks about it that we, we throw off the sinful nature and we put on our new nature when we come to Christ. We should look different. We have a new mission, a new purpose. And what is it that we've been called to do as a church? Well, we've been called to carry the gospel into all the world to go into all the world and make disciples, the Great Commission. But how do we do that? What does it look like? So as Paul is writing this letter, he reveals three key purposes about the church that I think are the keys to allowing us to accomplish that mission. And they're very simple, but yet they're hard for us to live out. seems to be that way with God all the time, doesn't it? The concepts are simple, but it's difficult to put into practice. Three main purposes. The first is to reflect God's holiness, the second is to reveal his glory. And the third is to live as his witnesses to the world. And for those few of you who are scrambling, trying to fill in the blanks, I'm going to come back and talk about all of them so you'll get them as we go. So don't sweat it. But think about it. This is not just for the Ephesians. This is for the church at large, God's church. It's for every single one of us. And so I want to dig a little deeper into some of those purposes and just talk about what they mean to us. The first one, the church is to reflect God's holiness. Look at how Paul describes this early in his letter. In fact, at the very beginning, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. To be holy and without fault. Or some translations say to be holy and blameless in his eyes. What does that mean? What's that look like? Well, I think there are a couple aspects of this phrase that probably most people see as these competing ideas, but in reality, I would suggest that they complement one, one another pretty well. The first, actually, both of these we talked about in our Soul Detox series. The first refers to the immediate redemption of our soul when we come to Christ. It's the picture of justification being fleshed out. It's when we come to Christ, we surrender our lives, and Christ takes our place. He takes on our sin. He stands before his Father and takes the punishment that we deserve. And so when God looks at us, our spirit has been redeemed. He sees us as holy and blameless because he sees Christ and what Christ did for us. And so it allows us to stand before him in that way. And the theological term for this is positional sanctification. Basically, it just it means exactly what it says, position. We have a position of being made holy, of being made perfect in the eyes of God because of what Christ did for us. But the second part that most people see competing with this, and this is where I want to spend some time this morning, is referred to as progressive sanctification. And again, it follows the term that you see. This is the progress that we were making, the process that we were walking through of being sanctified, being set apart and made holy. And this is the redemption of our soul that we talked about all through the Soul Detox series. We are to reflect God's holiness in the way that we live our daily lives. And see, this is where it becomes difficult for us to understand. Because what we see in this is that there is a call on our lives to live holy and blameless. We need to strive to live the best we can to reflect God's holiness, to do things right, to be people of integrity and great character, moral character and honor. And yet Paul tells us over and over, we can't do that on our own. We can't do it in our own strength. It is only through God's redemptive work within us that we can do that. It is only through the work 
of the Holy Spirit within our lives that allows that journey to even happen. Later in Ephesians 4, which is one of the places that Paul is talking about throwing off our old sinful nature and putting on that new nature, he lists several examples of things that would make it look this way. It's it's things that we should stop doing or things that maybe we should start doing. He's given us things that would reflect that character, trying to paint a picture for us. But yet, again, he makes it clear over and over and over, we can't do it on our own. So work hard at doing this, but you can't do it. God has to do it in you. And it seems like this contradiction of terms, but in reality, they work so well together. I mean, stop and think for a moment. This idea of being holy, of being sanctified, this is the foundation of our faith. The Jews were set apart. They were God's holy people. They were sanctified, set apart. That's what it means. So that they could be a reflection of God and his character to the world around them. And we have been grafted into that as Gentiles, that we are to be set apart and different from the world as well. We are supposed to look different, not look like the world. You know, I wonder sometimes, why is it that when I have conversations with people out in the community that they find out I'm a pastor and they talk differently to me? I don't know if if you all have ever noticed this. I mean, probably not because you're here at church. But when I talk to people in the community, the only time I ever tell them I'm a pastor is if they ask me specifically. I don't ever tell them I'm a pastor because as soon as I do, they talk to me differently, they apologize for things that they've said or done, or they act different around me, and it's like, oh, you're the pastor, I've got to be a certain way, I've got to behave. I hate that. I, I just want them to be who they are and interact with them and get to know them for who they are. But it's because I am different. You know, why is it that my wife, who teaches at Highland City Elementary, has interactions with people all the time, and former students' parents come back to her, and other teachers come to her, and they ask for prayer, they tell her about struggles they're going through because they see that she's different. I love to listen to Ashley tell stories. Ashley Shive, Dave's wife, you know, she works with a safety company and goes into like the mining area and construction and stuff. And so she's kind of around a rough crew part of the time. But she talks about how they treat her differently all the time because they see her face. They see that she is different than they are in the way she carries herself and the way she handles herself. But that's what it's supposed to be like. We're supposed to look different than the world. People should recognize that we're different, that we're set apart. And do any of us get it right all the time? Are we perfect? Absolutely not. I mean, hang out with me for a little while. You'll see how imperfect I am. Most of you know me well enough to know better than that. But the goal is holiness. And the goal is that when we don't do things right and we mess up because we're going to, we're sinful people, we're broken, then we do our best to make it right and to go back and change that. Let me... uh, Let me just kind of be transparent for a moment and and share a good practical life example of this with you. And I kind of debated if I was even going to share this, but I don't know, months and months ago, our our cable and internet company here at the church that we use for our internet and phone, uh, we had to upgrade our service because we were having trouble keeping up with stuff. We couldn't keep our kiosks up and running and do the streaming on Sunday morning. And so many of you were coming in and plugging in to do your, your Bibles on your smartphones and stuff. And so we were just having trouble keeping up. So we upgraded. No big deal. Well, months and months and months after we upgraded, the company comes back to us and says, we just realized that we've never changed your bill to reflect the upgrade. So we got this increased speed, the upgrade in service, but they never charged us for it. And we went, oh, you know, okay, well, that stinks, but we get it. Okay, we'll pay the bill, and we're going to make it right. And so they promised us that on the next month's bill it was going to be right and be right moving forward. Well, if you saw the amount of bills that comes through our office on a weekly basis, we weren't paying attention to what the amount was, so we keep writing checks every time the bill comes in. And just a few weeks ago, 
we had some problems with our service, and we had to go back and go through our account in detail. And as we did that, we realized that still, months later, they had still never upgraded that charge on our bill. So we've got the upgraded service, but we've never been paying the extra. And Sherry was going through it in detail, and she called me in the office. We're talking about it, and I remember saying something to this effect. It was basically, they know about it. We know about it. We agreed to pay. If they don't want to put it on the bill, that's their problem. And then this past week, as I was praying and studying and preparing and talking about being a reflection of God's holiness, those words came flashing back. And I went, oh, that's not good. That's not good. And so now, Sherry, we get to sit down this week, have a conversation, and uh, make some phone calls to go back and fix that. Because, see, here's the truth. If we don't have enough integrity to go back and tell the company, hey, you're not charging us right, we need to get this fixed, how are we any different than anybody else in the world? How can I say that I have integrity, that I'm reflecting God's holiness, that my moral character is of a high standard, that I have honor, if I'm going to let something like that slide through? It's a big deal. And so I wonder, what about you? Are you living with full integrity, with moral character, with honor in the way you go about every day in life? Are you reflecting God's holiness to the world? What about the moments where you think nobody's watching? What about when you're doing your taxes? What about when you're filling out your timesheet at work? Or you're doing your expense report to turn in for reimbursement? Or what about when you're getting those 200 cable channels but you're only paying for 14 of them? What kind of integrity are you reflecting in that moment? What part of God's character are you reflecting in that moment? If we are not living as a reflection of God's holiness, set apart for his purposes, we have completely missed his calling in our lives. And I would even go as far as to say we're ineffective as a church. If your coworkers or your neighbors don't notice that you're different, then you're not living out your call to be the church very well. They should see that you're set apart, that you're different. All right. I've beat us up enough on that one. Let's move on. The second thing Paul tells us is that the church is to reveal God's glory. The church, second purpose of the church is to reveal God's glory. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. God's purpose was that we Jews who were the first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and he, that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Did you hear that last little bit? He's purchased us to be his own people so that we would praise and glorify him. In fact, most translations end that verse with this phrase, to the praise of his glory. God purchased us, paid our sin debt in full. He redeemed us so that he would receive the glory. Stop for a moment and think about how huge that is. The only way that we could ever possibly fulfill even that first purpose of being that reflection of God's holiness is when we are redeemed by God himself. He calls us to be set apart, to be holy, and then he redeems us and pays our debt in full so that we can live as holy, so that we can be a reflection 
of his glory and so that we can reveal his glory to those around us. We even reveal his glory to the angels, it tells us in Ephesians chapter 3. Think about that for a moment. God's angels, they don't get this idea of redemption because they've never had to be redeemed. They've been with God since the beginning of eternity. And they see God's glory revealed in new and fresh ways every time they see his redemption story play out in you and I. When they see our sinfulness and our brokenness and they see God redeem us. I think it's one of the most easily confused purposes in the church because we put so much emphasis, and rightly so, but we put so much emphasis on the Great Commission and our call to go into the world and, and reach others for Christ, and that's important, but it's not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to bring glory to God, to glorify Him and to make His glory known, and we do that through our being so much more than through our actual doing. Our story of redemption is God's glory revealed in us. Paul said it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, 19 through 22. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You're members of God's family. Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. We're no longer foreigners. We are his children. God's redeemed us and has sent his Holy Spirit to live in us. And as we live our lives under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we live holy, set apart, a reflection of God's glory because of his amazing work of redemption in our lives. And that very simply leads us into the third purpose of the church that Paul reveals. The church is to be a witness to Christ. The church is to be a witness to Christ. We are to tell the amazing story of God's redemption in our lives that has set us apart as holy, and that is our witness to the world, sharing in word and action the life-changing relationship that we have with Christ. We talked about this last week, Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right after he's been raised from the dead. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I looked up this idea of witness in the dictionary this past week, and it says this, to observe or experience something and then share the details of that experience with others. Okay, straightforward, we get that. But think about it in context of the church. When we come to Christ, we experience the amazing, life-transforming power of his love and grace and we are called to share that experience with everyone around us. 1 Peter 2.9 says it this way, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession, and as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. Notice the flow of that verse. You are so that you can. God has adopted you into his family and set you apart as his holy possession so that you can be his witness to the world around you, so that you can reflect his goodness and glory to the world. God lives in each of us, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Going back to that Ephesians 2 passage, so that we can live as a reflection of him in our daily lives, in our word and our action. I see this purpose of the church, I think it plays out in a couple different ways. It often plays out corporately. We, the church, the church body, are a witness to Christ. And that's really important, but the reality is this verse in Acts is talking about we, the individual, you and I, the church, 
we are called to be that witness for Christ. And everything we do and everything we say, every place that we go, it is the responsibility of every single believer to carry that witness of Christ into the world around us. And unfortunately, and I, I kind of referred to this earlier, but there are a lot of people who don't represent Christ very well as the church. People that we see as the church, but whether it's a person or a group of people, they, they go after a cause, and sometimes it's a great cause, it's a righteous cause, but they go about it in such a way that the character of Christ is defamed. And it makes the church look bad, and we're not representing his glory and his holiness and being a good witness in that moment. I think it's why Paul goes into so much detail in Ephesians 4 about what Christian character looks like. He paints this picture of what it means to be a witness for Christ. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3 says, Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Listen to those words. Be humble, gentle, patient, forgiving, united in spirit, bound in peace. It's not a real easy list to follow in every situation, is it? But when we live in this way, we are a witness to the character of Christ. There are way too many situations where we can be right about an issue but wrong in the way we go about that issue. And consequently, it can wreck our witness for Christ in the world around us. We have to put every effort into reflecting the character of Christ in all we do, every word, every action, every encounter. So just to kind of wrap this up with a pretty bow, the three purposes of the church that Paul emphasizes is to reflect God's holiness, to reveal his glory, and to be his witness to all the world. And all three of these core purposes can be wrapped into one simple word that is often very hard to understand and extremely hard to practice. Love. Love. Authentic Christianity, the real, authentic church. It boils down to this one single concept, Christ-like love for one another and for the world around us. Jesus said it this way, in John 13, 34 and 35, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. We will be known as Christ's disciples and we will fulfill the purposes of the church by our love for one another and our love for the world around us. Love that accepts but yet refuses to embrace sin and is built upon truth of God's word. Love that forgives. Love that heals. Love that encourages and lifts up. Love that sacrifices its rights so that peace can be achieved. Love that serves others, is sacrificial, selfless. This one thing, Christ-like love is what enables us to be the church and to carry out his purpose in the world. We reflect God's holiness through our love. We reveal God's glory through our love. We are witnesses to who Christ is and his very character in the way we love. Think about Christ for a minute. 
He didn't come to earth to fight for a cause. He didn't come to, to change a political agenda or to address a socioeconomic structure. He came to change the heart of man. And when the inside experiences change, the outside will change accordingly. And I'm reminded of Matthew 23 and Jesus' woes to the Pharisees. And I won't tell you all of them because there's a ton, but, but just to sum up a couple quickly, he talks about you're like a cup where you wash the outside of the cup and you get a sparkly clean, but you turn it over and it's nasty inside. It's filthy. And he compares them to the idea of a whitewashed tomb. says, you're like this whitewashed tomb that's clean, that looks pure and holy from the outside, but it's full of dead people's bones on the inside. And I thought of that example, especially of the cup. I went, man, that's a great word picture. I mean, think about it for a minute. Take your coffee cup, and I don't know if you guys are this way. Sherry hates this about me, but I, I use the same coffee cup all the time. You go look at my coffee cup in the office, it's just like nasty black stained inside. Awful. My coffee cup at home is the same way. I keep setting it on the sink, and every time I turn around, she's like grabbing it, throwing it in the dishwasher, trying to clean it up. But you take that cup, and you turn it upside down, and you wash it, and you can scrub the outside all day long, and you can make it sparkly clean, and it won't do a thing to that stain on the inside because you've got it turned upside down, and the water runs over it. And even if you try to submerge it, it kind of pushes all the water out because the air is trapped, and it doesn't clean anything, just the outside. But what happens when you flip that cup over? And you begin to, begin to clean out the inside. And whether you take a, a wet rag and stick it down in there and move it around, or a brush, or you submerge it in water, when you go to clean the inside of a coffee cup, what happens? The water and the suds spill over the top, and they run down the sides, and they consequently clean the outside too, doesn't it? Even if you don't scrub the outside, it has an impact. And I think our lives are exactly like that. We can clean up the outside all we want. We can fake it all day long and never experience heart change. But when we experience true heart change, the outside's going to change too. People are going to start to notice. When God gets a hold of our heart and he begins to change us from the inside out, we begin to become that reflection of his holiness. We begin to reveal his glory. We begin to become his witness. A lot of times we don't even have to be intentional about it. It's just so much a part of who we are that it flows out because of what God's done inside of us. Man, you guys come on up. We, the church, the body of Christ, we exist to reflect God's holiness, reveal His glory, and bear witness to the world for Christ through our love for one another and our love for the world. It's that simple, yet it's so complex. It's that easy, yet so hard to live out. And over the next several weeks, we're going to dig deeper into a lot of the subjects that we've kind of approached today. But I think the big question for today is this. Could it be said of you that you are reflecting God's holiness? Could it be said of you that you're revealing his glory to the people around you? Could it be said of you that you are a witness for Christ in all the world? Or maybe you could sum it up with this one statement. Could it be said of you that you're loving well? Loving in such a way that people see the very nature and character of God lived out through you and your action and your words and your thoughts. I've said several times today, and I'll keep saying this over and over and over. You can't walk this journey alone. We are called to be the church because God 
wants us to live in community. We're created in his image in community. The Trinity, three in one. From the Godhead all the way down, it's community. It's us walking together, doing life together. That's why small groups are so important. It's why church is so important. What we do on Sunday mornings is important because we're called to live in and walk in community. We're called to encourage one another. We're called to challenge one another. We're called to learn and grow together. So I would encourage you, be a part of a small group. Get plugged into a ministry. Get around other believers so that you have someone who has influence in your life is speaking into you. I'm going to pray and the band's going to play. And, you know, I don't know exactly what God's speaking to your heart this morning. I don't know how this has impacted you or, or what you've been thinking as you hear these words, but you know, maybe you're sitting there this morning and you realize, I'm not reflecting those things or, or, or revealing God's glory or, or being the witness that I need to be because I've not experienced that internal heart change that you're talking about. And if that's you, I would encourage you to come this morning and allow God to, to just speak into your heart. Come as you are. You don't have to change anything. You don't have to act any different. Is he calling you to act differently? Yes. But you're only going to act differently if he gets a hold of your heart and changes you. So allow him to wash the inside of the cup so that the outside can begin to be washed too. Or maybe you're sitting there this morning and you've been through a season where you just kind of feel numb to what's going on in your walk with Christ. You're just not sure where the fire or the passion has gone and, and you don't sense that you're living your life out the way you should right now. I would encourage you just to spend some time praying and asking God to refresh you and renew you and to, to again change the inside of your heart so that's revealed in what others see of you. I'm going to pray and then you respond as you see fit. There's always room here. You can come to the front of the stage if you'd like to pray. If you want to grab somebody and pray there in your seat or just kneel at your seat, do that. Maybe you just need to write in your connection card so we can follow up with you this week and have a conversation. Feel free. But as the band plays, you respond as God speaks to your heart. Let's pray. God, thank you for how you are speaking to us. God, I thank you that you have put your faith in us to be your plan of redemption for the world. God, there is no plan B. We're, we are your plan, the church. We're literally the hope of the world because it is through us that you live and you are seen and you are re reflected to the world around us. It's not our work, it's not our effort, but it is yours when we submit to you and allow you to work through us. So God, help us to surrender to you and allow you to work powerfully in our lives. Help us to be reflections of your holiness. Help us to share our stories in such a way that, that your glory is revealed because of the amazing story of redemption in our lives. And help us to be your witnesses in the things that we say and the things that we do and the places that we go. God, help us to live worthy of the calling that you have placed in our lives. And may we walk together in that journey to encourage one another to be able to do that. We love you, God. Amen.